Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 15 is where we're moving into today. 7 through 15, I will uh, hinge together the last Sunday's message and then today's message. Uh, because if you're really honest with the text, you're still dealing with coming out of chapter 3. That we are adequate ministers because God has given it to us. And we are now ministers of a new covenant where we can all see with unveiled face the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are up against the God of this world who has blinded. And yet, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants. Because it is God who said light shall shine out of the darkness. And that is what you and I are here. When I moved into 2 Corinthians, however long ago it was, uh, the reason I did it is that I wanted you to see what ministry was. Okay? And it will come to you in two folds through this letter. Okay? One is extraordinarily practical. Okay? Do's and don'ts, basically. Okay, these are things you have to be careful of. These are things that could happen. The other thing is that you will see it in the person of Paul. This is what it is. All right? And, uh, you know, because I know a lot of people say, well, I can't walk like Jesus. He was God and I can't do it. Walk as Paul. Okay, because what is the difference between you and Paul? Same Holy Spirit. Okay, the thing is, is that what we looked over over the last 15 weeks was, are we focused on the face of Jesus Christ? That's the key. Let's pray and read the word of God. Father, thank you for your Bible. Thank you that you have given us the author to indwell our hearts, to open our eyes, to open our ears. And that, Father, we with an unveiled face may now see. Father, as we move into this text... Father, I ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And that, Father, we be overwhelmed by the privilege that has been given to each of us. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. Help us to walk in humility. Father, help us to walk in the power of your Spirit. And help us to be steadfast, standing firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we love you. Father, our love fluctuates. But, Lord, may we love you more and more with each breath that you grace us until that day our faith becomes sight. To your glory. Amen. Okay, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh so that death works in us, but life in you. But we have the same spirit of faith according to that it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, 
so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. All right. What I want us to see here, this is a real straightforward and a simple text in its design. Okay. It's basically a contrast. Okay. I can take it back to Jesus's parables. Remember the pearl of great price? And the guy sold everything so he could have the pearl of great price. Right? Where's the pearl of great price at? You ever thought about that? Where is it? In an oyster. So you look at the container and you think, well, that's seriously nasty. But the pearl's inside. And that's basically what the Apostle Paul is going to give you today and in these next few weeks. Why? You are an earthen vessel. You are an old clay pot. Okay? And the treasure is inside. But we have this treasure. Stop right there. Okay? What is this treasure? That's why I say it goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 3. He's been laying out the treasure for months. Okay. But I want us to think about this because what happens is there's times. If you've got kids. um, As that sacred high holiday that the economy is based on. Christmas. Okay. We find out whether. America will stand but yet another year. You have your children begin, it gets a little earlier each year, on what do they want for Christmas, right? And as, as you know, they start off little bitty kids and they want everything. The, as they get older, they don't want everything. They just want more expensive single things. And it just goes on and on like that. And one of the things that I have watched throughout my life you get them what they want. Okay? It's, I don't know. It, it can be anything from a, a special doll that is out there now to an iPad or an iPhone, an i something. All right? And they, oh, well, this is great. This is great. They open it up and they're all excited. This is wonderful. This is, I can't stand it. Until January 1st. The newness is gone. They're not that concerned about it. They don't play with it anymore. It's not that big a deal, and they move on. One of the things that I have watched in the church consistently is that same action. People come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it rocks their universe. They don't know what to do with themselves. Why did he, why would he have ever saved me? And, 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 and they're ecstatic. They're enthusiastic that when the doors of the church are open, they're there. And anything you need, you name it. I'm in it. We'll do it. And they're just, they're, they're, I always liken them and it's, this probably will offend some, but you'll get over it. They're like puppies. Cute as a button. Just, whoa, shaking all over everything. And I mean just enthusiastic, bouncing, ding, 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 ding. But they're not housebroken. Okay? And what happens is, is somewhere down the line, as they 
spend more time with Jesus, then you will find out that they actually spend less time with Jesus. Ask yourself a question. When you fall into something difficult, okay, now, now fill in the blank. Every one of us have something, uh, some kind of a heartache, some kind of anxiety or, 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 or something I'm frustrated with or I'm anxious about or maybe I'm even angry about something and all the rest of it. Our first response is to do what with the church? Forsake it. Tell me I'm wrong. Because your pride steps up and says, well, I don't want to share this heartache that I have with my child. I don't want to share this heartache that I have with my spouse. I don't want to, you know, this thing with my job. Or I don't want to do this. And I just, just, can we just keep it quiet? Ain't that what we do? How can that same enthusiastic newborn Christian who has so much exuberance for the Lord Jesus Christ now all of a sudden becomes this, well, I don't want to talk about it. I could probably ask every one of you, did you read your Bible this week outside of any organized Bible studies? And I would probably be stunned at the number of people who would tell me yes who didn't. I didn't have time. I was running late to work. I was filling the blank. Wait, I forgot to get gas last night. And so... And yet, if I were to ask you, do you love Jesus Christ? You would say, on Sunday, (laughs) he's the berries on Sunday. But there are times for a multitude of reasons that our love grows cold. And I think what happens is this contrast between the container and the treasure gets marred. I think that one of the things that happens to a Christian is when that love grows cold, we start thinking the container is more important than the treasure. Paul says, it's an earthen vessel. It's a clay pot. Our love grows cold, but I think what happens is, do we ever consider God's love and how wonderful it is to be loved by God? You ever thought about that? Because I watch people, and people are all looking for love, but they want to define it. I need companionship. I need someone I can lean on. I need someone I can vent. I need someone to care for me. And I, it is definitely, when you see it across the board, it's true. So we were created that way. But the problem is, we do not consider God's love and how awesome it is to be loved by God. Last week we looked at it and it says that it is God who will turn the light on. God who brings us out of the darkness. It is God who has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of glory of Him in the person of Jesus Christ. God does that and He does it by His love. 
by turning that light on, He is giving you and I the privilege of loving the Lord Christ Jesus. It is a privilege. And yet we don't ever look at it that way. We love Him because He first loved us. The Bible says, giving love back to God should be a very normal thing for a Christian. And yet I watch those who take the name Christian and their biggest concern is loving God or loving self. Let me see if I can encourage you. I know some of you are going, oh, this is going to be awful. (laughs) If he's going to encourage me, I know what that means first. For us to understand how God expects us to love, then we have to understand what is God's love. All right? You will hear people say that God loves the world. You will hear people say that God loves Everybody. You will hear it said, God loves you and has a wondrous plan for your life. All kinds of people, saved and lost, talk about the love of God. Okay, in a sense, what I just stated is true. But I'm going to see if I can clear up these muddy waters. John's Gospel, 316. What does it say? God so loved the elect. He loved the world. He loved the world. All right. The next theological question is just that quick snaps up. Does God love unbelievers? Let me tell you something. You better hope so. (laughs) Because if he didn't, ain't none of us saved. (laughs) Okay? Yes, emphatically. All right? And just to prove my point, I will go to the rich young ruler. Mark's gospel. The rich young ruler comes up and says, Good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? He says, You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, verse 21, chapter 10 of Mark, felt a a love for him and said, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving. Okay, that's an unbeliever. But Jesus lays it out this simple. Here's the deal. You want eternity or you want temporal? 
guy says, I want temporal. But did you note the phrase in verse 21? Jesus felt a, a love for him. A love for him. So you know what he's saying here? This will encourage you. We should love our enemies if we are children of God. Because an unbeliever is an enemy to God. God loves his enemies. There's no question on God loving the world. But there is a sense. It's what I call, theologians call it a universal love. I call it a general love. And this love is seen, I can basically condense it into four things. Okay, this common grace that you see. What I mean by common grace, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, right? Okay, God created flowers for just believers to enjoy. No, deer also. The deer come and clean up my wife's flowers. She's thrilled. I giggle. (laughs) When I look at the sky, is that just for me to enjoy the beauty of the sky? Or do lost people enjoy the beauty? If you look at the joy, the beauty of creation, is that just for believers to enjoy? Or is it for unbelievers to enjoy? So, but, but you think about it, the psalmist says that the rose blooms in the desert for the pure enjoyment of God. All right? No human may ever see that bloom. But he just does it. Why? Because he loves his creation. He loves the whole thing. Um, Dr. Zodiod calls it a love of benevolence. A love of benevolence. I thought that was a fascinating term. So one is this general love that is God's. The second one, or a second one, I guess, is a love of compassion. A love of compassion. You can find that in Luke 19, verse 41. Jesus came to the hill. He looked upon... Jerusalem and wept. He knew he was cruising into town to die. That the people of the city would kill him. And yet as he looked at the city, he wept. It's, that's compassion. See, it, it has to do uh, with an emotion because there is a deep Deep, caring. Okay? See, God says He would wish none should perish. Okay, doesn't mean universalism. He just wishes that they wouldn't perish. Why? He has a love for His creation. Doesn't mean a whole bunch of them ain't going to perish. He has takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? He has compassion 
on his creation. He has compassion on mankind. And it is driven by his love. Um, it is a love motivated not by the worth of the object. See, we have a tendency to love something that we believe is of worth to us. Actually, if you look at this compassionate love, it is a love based on the loss of the value of the object. If you're truly honest with Scripture, he's not loving based on the goodness of the object. But the fallenness that would bring about his heartache, his heartbreaking love, a sadness. I I guess I would call it a love of pity. A love of pity, poor thing. A sympathetic love. Okay, I mean, when he looks at Jerusalem and he's already told him he is Messiah, he's already told him he's the lineage, I am the son of God, I am the son of David. And their conclusion is all the miracles you're doing, you're doing it by the power of the devil. Well, there you go. And yet he looks upon Jerusalem and says, how I would have gathered you. So that's the second kind. You have a general love and then a love of compassion. Third love, and this one, if you're, your kids are with you, you're going to love the fact that I brought this one up. It's a love of warning. If you look at the Bible, it is loaded with warnings. All right? And most of the warnings are about hell. You know what? Did you realize that if you take 66 books of the Bible. Nobody taught more on hell than Jesus. It just don't fit the picture of the grace and love and tenderness and mercy and all the rest of it. But the reason that he loved, he's saying, hello. Either you believe in me or you go to hell and pay your penalty. He's warning is on punishment and judgment on destruction We do that with our kids. That's hot. Told you. Okay. We go, don't get, don't touch that. Don't mess with that. Don't mix that. Don't do. All right. Why do we have to put little things in the outlets? Give them a fork. Let's stick it in there one time. They'll be over that. But I warned you, you don't want to do that. Here, take the fork. Okay, use just one hand and just get your fingers. But I guarantee you, you won't do it twice. Of course, you may hate light bulbs, but (laughs) my kid's afraid of the dark. Why? Because electricity makes it happen. Love provides warnings. And it is by those warnings that we call people to repentance. And I know we don't, we hate that word, but God loves enough that he warns us. Change your direction. 
Speaking of the law in Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. We are warned. God has things that he's... This is kind of... It's a tragedy because God writes out his word to protect us. And we think that he's being mean to us. Isn't it true? Isn't it what your kids do? I don't think you ought to do that. Well, you're just, you don't understand. All right. Here, take a fork. All right. When we warn our children, are, are we doing it because we're just being mean? And if you know how to give good gifts, how much greater gifts of the Father? But we read through it and say, well, I don't want you to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Well, but maybe they'll be a believer. It's a big gamble. It's a big gamble. Okay. Oh, did I tell you you'll only be miserable the rest of your life? <laughs> if God says, I don't want you to do that, you think, I just don't want you to be married to somebody. Oh, really? Do you understand that the Bible teaches that there is a spiritual gift of singleness? You know what that implies? Man doesn't do it by himself. <laughs> if a man's going to be single or a woman's going to be single, it takes divine intervention to get it to happen. So there's the love of warning. Fourth thing that you will see in God's word is gospel proclamation. Okay, Christ is the light that is unveiled. Okay, remember Romans teaches us that that may be known of God is already in them. Okay, every human being has a conscience and that that can be known of God is evident. Okay, but what man wants to do is sear his conscience and let me make up, well, let's call it evolution. All right? That way they ain't no God. Okay? And see, we're so smart, we figured it out. But God's in His love has brought the gospel forward. And He says, this is truth. See, man has a conscience, but it takes God in His love to write the law upon their hearts. Okay, what that means is is that the hearts actually... Remember, out of the mouth speaks the heart, and it takes divine intervention of the person of the Holy Spirit and the soul of a human to make that heart. Now, I believe, therefore I spoke, Paul says in this text. Alright? There is truth given to man... In the very fabric of his being. And it is revealed through creation. You know what? I remember growing up and looking at it and thinking at creation. And this is before I was saved. You can't tell me that this all happened through a cataclysmic event. You can't tell me that. I mean, do you realize how insane you have to believe that, oh, poof. Look, all of this happened. No, that's nuts. It takes more, nu- more faith to believe that than Jesus Christ 
was raised again. I mean, I just look around at it. Ah, oh, you're saying that you just believe? Yep. Young earth. God created. He spoke. There it is. Well, but it's based on age. God's eternal. That's not hard to overcome. Gee, many crickets. He's an eternal. He's not bound by time. How old was Adam? Anybody know? Six. Why? Because he flunked out of kindergarten. Everybody knows that's in the Bible. But you see what I'm trying to get at? That's the stuff that you, we, we sit there and you, see, you hear all the experts. And yet you sit and look at it and say, but what is your basis from? Were you there? I, I, I don't, no, no, I ain't doing it. It is written there. It's in the fabric of who we are. I can look at creation and say, this is an accident? There was this great celestial bomb and poof, here we are. Cool. You know, see what I can do with firecrackers. You know, let's go get an M80, put about five of them together. We can make earthworms. Well, if you put a bunch of them together in mud and you drop them in a the lake, you can get fish. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Because of that realization, Matthew tells us to go in all the world preaching the gospel of grace. All of these four that I just give you are an expression of love, okay? To the world. This is God's general love, His expansive love. And you know what? If you're really honest with yourself, that's great, isn't it? I mean, like waterfalls, oceans. I mean, I seen a, a, a deer this morning, had two baby fawns. You know, it's still got the white spots on them. And they're all tr- trying to get across the highway. And you're just sitting there going, boy, this has got disaster all over it. And, you know, ah, ah, ah. and, you know, but they're cute as a button. All right. And you just sit there and you think, wow, this is totally awesome. All right. And you, you see these things. Like there's a, a, up the hill just going into Elbert County. There's a whole bunch of wild turkeys. And it's really great because one of these days I'm going to take a 410 shotgun with me. But anyway, um, you watch these people cruising up the highway and all of a sudden they see these big black things alongside the road and all of a sudden they start moving and it freaks everybody out. And you see them weaving and you, you're like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be ugly here in a minute. Okay. But it's just wild turkeys. So, you know, not, they're kind of cool, especially like Thanksgiving. I look at God's love and I look at, I, I just look at the differences of people. You ever notice that? Uh, their personalities, um, their physical appearances, uh, and it's just a, a myriad of different people. And, and, and they're all completely different. I mean, even the twins are different. And, and, and you just go down the, down the line and you just look at it and you think, man. And all of that is an expression of God's love. And you look at it and it's wondrous. Unless... Unless I compare it to the love God has for his children. And there's no comparison to that. God's love to believers is far, far and away beyond his love for the world. See, the love for the world, it's a love 
with a severe hook in it. And I mean a big, nasty, barbed hook in it. The greater your participation in the expression of those acts of God's love, the greater you experience God's love, the greater the eternal punishment. That's the hook that is in it. It's, it's like you run into guys every once in a while. I, you know, I, as I work on motorcycles and things like that, I run into unbelievers all the time. Okay. And you'll get these guys. And the first thing they want, they find out I'm a pastor. The first question they ask me is not, are you a dispensationalist? Would you classify yourself as a Calvinist or an Arminius? The first question always that they ask me is, do you have any single women in your church? First question. All right. But I don't have the heart to tell them that if you experience that and you jump into that, the greater your condemnation, bud. What? Yeah. The greater your condemnation. Why? Because you will experience God's love. And yet you will reject it. And in that rejection, guess what? You walk on God's grace. You walk on God's love. As the writer of Hebrews says, you trample underneath the cross. And there no longer remains a way of salvation for you. The more you benefit the benevolence and the compassion and the warning and the gospel, the greater your punishment. Remember, we read the controversial text. Jacob I love, Esau I hated. Do you see why? Which one got more of God's love? They were both exposed to the same amount. And yet for a bowl of soup, he traded his inheritance. So what do you do for my love? You would give up your inheritance for a bowl of soup? What would you do for my love? Look at what I have done for you, Esau. See ya. God's love to a believer. 1 John 3. How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It's a completely different dimension than his love for the world. I'm going to go through a whole bunch of verses. You write them down and go look them up because if, if not, we're going to be here When's the barbecue? <laughs> All right. Okay. Zephaniah 3, 17. It is a renewing love. Isaiah 49. Isaiah, or Isaiah 49 and Jeremiah 31. It is an eternal love. In John's gospel, chapter 13 and 14. It is a perfect love. Romans 9. It is an electing love. Romans 5 
in Ephesians 2. It is a saving love. Romans 8. It is an unbreakable love. Ephesians 5. It's a purifying love. Hebrews 12. It's a chastening love. God's love for his people is renewing, eternal, perfect, electing, saving, unbreakable, purifying, and chastening. It's a little bit different than the four that I gave you for his general love, isn't it? It is glorious when you think about it. And it is a love that only the believers know. Listen, God loves all of his creation. When he finished up creation, what did he say? It is good. It is good. When he created man and stuck him in the middle of it, what did he say from that? It is very good. Okay? His creation he loves because it is good. When he put man on it, it is very good. You know what that means? He loves man more than just his general creation. That is God's love expressed to his creation. But among all of his creatures that are on the planet, he loves man more with that general love that I gave you. But beyond them, he loves his special people, his children, even more. But... Most of all, he loves his son. The supreme object of God's affection is Jesus Christ. The whole redemptive plan unfolds Because of the Father's love of the Son. Did you get that? The whole redemptive plan unfolds because of the Father's love of the Son. That's amazing when you think about it. His desire to give to His Son a redeemed humanity to praise Him forever and ever is based on the Father's love for the Son. Most of all, he loves his son. It is perfect. It is inexpressible love. We are loved believers more than man or creation because we are what? Placed in Christ. Gospel of John chapter 5 verse 20 For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing, and the Father will show Him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. The greater works than these, that you may marvel, is the redemption of a portion of humanity to praise Jesus Christ forever and ever, and that is greater works than what God had already shown Him. Grab that one and sit on it for a while and see if you can let it bounce around in your head. 
voice from the clouds when he came out of baptism, when he was unveiling his glory with Elijah and Moses on the Mount of the Transfiguration, the voice in the clouds said, what? My beloved son. All right. Now then, we have a treasure in earthen vessels. And we are to love as God loves. We love the world. It's God's creation and we are thankful. I've had the privilege to see uh, big chunks of this thing. And um, I mean, one of the most awe-inspiring things was flying at a full moon. Okay. Up over the Arctic Circle to drop into Moscow. And looking down and seeing the polar ice caps. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out why Iceland is called Iceland and Greenland is called Greenland. Uh, that don't fit. <laughs> okay. And then to see the ships moving through, there was little billowy clouds moving across down there. And then all of a sudden you drop back out of it and you could see the ice and you could just wait until you could see the snow caps start moving before you moved into Russia. There's it. I don't know what to say. It compares to when I came up over the aqueduct ruins at Caesarea and you come up over the little ridge there and you see these aqueducts that they used to bring water in King Herod's palace there on the coast and you look out and you see the blue of the Mediterranean and you go, whoa. I didn't have another word. Whoa was all I could come up with. Was whoa. Okay. I've had the privilege. I've had the privilege to stand next to the Dead Sea, lowest place on the planet. I've had the privilege to stand on top. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life, we were doing the east face of Long's Peak. It's called the Diamond. And we had planned on climbing it in one day, and God laughed and brought a storm in on us. So we had to hang in our harnesses in a a, a rock wall that's more than 90 degrees. So basically what you do... It's more than 90 degrees. You know what I'm trying to get at here? So you're hanging on a rope. Okay, you've got your harness on, you've got your sleeping bag pulled up over your head, you've got it zipped up, and all night long you spin on that rope back this way, and then you spin back around this way, and you spin back around this way, and you're hanging by your hips, spinning. One of the best nights of sleep I've ever had in my life. When I got up on top, I didn't know if I was going to walk again. Just, But I did get a privilege. Long's Peak, you can see it on the front range. Long's Peak, that morning, with all the sleep I had, I was awake before sunrise, and I got to watch the sun come up on the eastern plains of Colorado and start shining into the mountains where I was. And I don't know how to describe it. Okay, I look at God's creation and say, wow. It's a pretty cool place. I mean, the first time I went across the uh, fields of Kansas, it was pretty cool. After that, it wasn't. (laughs) One trip, you can get that out of your system. If we are to love as God loves, then we love the world God made and we are thankful. We love mankind more than we love creation. Did you hear what I said? There's some of us who love creation more than mankind. Be real careful. 
But we love mankind more. Okay? We do good unto all. Okay? We show kindness, love, compassion, warning, and gospel truth to all. Okay? But more than that, we love believers. We love believers that is a special, unique love, and it is beyond our love for unbelievers. But more than that, we should love the Christ our Lord, the Son of God. That's why when you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, everybody talks about Laodiceans, Sardis, and how evil they are. The greatest catastrophe in those seven churches is Ephesus. They've lost their first love. They lost the love that God has the greatest for. We love our enemies. Why? God does. We love believers more. More than our father, more than our mother, more than our son, more than our daughter. But we love Christ the most. How can we do less? We should be consumed by the love of the one whom God loves the most. Remember, his love has been poured into our hearts. What is the absolute primary affection of God's love? Jesus Christ. If his love's been poured into our heart, then what is the absolute primary affection of a Christian? It's cool, isn't it? We are his children. We manifest his nature. We focus on Christ, the glory of God. Why? Because we are nothing but clay pots with a precious treasure inside. Or if you want, you can be an oyster with a pearl of great price inside. Right? That's what we're moving into. That's why that one of the reasons that I see that we lose our love is because we start thinking that the container is something. And if you look at it, in God's love we are compared to regular man, to an unbelieving man, or to his creation. But not when it comes to his son. And if his love has been poured into my heart, then I will love as Christ loves. I will love as God loves. And when you and I have problems, guess what? You start thinking the container is special. And I'll deal with the container in the weeks to come and you'll find out that it's not special. It's a earthen vessel. Think about it for a minute. He uses clay pots. When God made Adam, what he made him out of? What is a clay pot made out of? There's not a lot, not a lot of special there. You don't believe me? Ask earthworms. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things you do. And I think about my brothers and sisters in Russia who are praying for 1%. Father, I'd give 
We give many thanks to 1% in Castle Rock. Help us, Lord. Help us understand that we are but clay pots. We're not special. And yet, by your sovereign grace, you saved us. And I thank you for that. Father, may we walk worthy. May we walk faithful. Father, may we walk focused on the center of your affections, Jesus Christ. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us be children of the Most High God and manifest your attributes and your natures that your glory would be seen in our lives individually, that your glory would be seen in our lives collectively. To you and you alone. Amen.